This evening we'll be doing something just a little different. <clears throat> we will uh, take a break from our teaching on virtuous womanhood for this evening because we have a very important subject to consider in the scriptures, one that uh, I have thought about doing some teaching on, uh, and providentially we're in a place where, uh, <clears throat> as a church, we want to act according to the Word of God, perhaps in something that has not been regularly practiced here. So this evening we'll be broaching um, what may be something of a new subject for some of you. <clears throat> Maybe this will just be a refresher for the rest. But let's begin reading in verse 13. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and we will read verses 13 through 18. Brethren, let us hear God's blessed and infallible word. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruits. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word to our hearts this evening. <clears throat> when I first came here to Pensacola, it uh, savaged my allergies to such a point that I was actually getting emails and recommendations from people who receive our tapes on what I might do to help clear my throat <laughs> and stop <clears throat> sniffing and snorting so much. I'm afraid uh, tonight I've returned to that particular mode of delivery. I hope it will not be too distracting. <clears throat> and I will be trying not to uh, overwork my voice too much in the hopes that I will have a voice by the Lord's day. And it's a quite a, a, a appropriate subject that we're approaching this evening. James's epistle is a powerful call to Christians to live according to the faith they profess. Now, <clears throat> you may be tempted to say just with that opening sentence, uh, Pastor, you seem to hit that subject a lot. Uh, why? 
And uh, my, my answer is actually a very simple one. Because it's in the Bible a lot. Uh, <clears throat> it's all through the apostolic epistles. We cannot miss it. Why is it there so much? Because the Lord has given us this treasure in earthen vessels. He has called us to a holy life, and yet he's pleased to give us new hearts, to give us the Holy Spirit in uh, uh, an existence that must still wrestle with the flesh. The flesh still has the remainders of sin in it, and that's why we're called upon by Paul to mortify the deeds of the body. <clears throat> and throughout the writings of Paul and the other apostles, we're called over and over and over and over to be what we are, to live according to the profession that uh, <clears throat> we make. And James's epistle is one of the most power, powerful appeals to this very subject in the New Testament. Uh, James's epistle is an, uh, an extraordinary uh, wake-up call and a very strong epistle uh, for those flagging in their faith and their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, <clears throat> he speaks to the dear children of God who are facing trials and persecutions, another theme that's all throughout the New Testament writings. <clears throat> and he's calling God's children to trust their sovereign Lord in all things, seeking him for wisdom and trusting him for the strength to walk according to his word. Now, in the passage set before us, as he brings this extremely potent epistle to a close, James gives us three conditions in which the Lord's children may find themselves. <clears throat> and he gives us clear, simple instruction in how to deal with each to the glory of God. His first question is, is any among you afflicted? The answer is clear, direct, and within the reach of every one of God's children. Let him pray. It's that simple. Our sovereign God brings treasured times of joy and gladness. Likewise, he sends us times of trial and trouble. As that wonderful hymn that we sing, Why should cross and trial grieve me. Christ is near with his cheer. Never, never will he leave me. As well as the hymn that uh, I know we all love and enjoy singing. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Those who understand the sovereignty of God know that times of blessing come from his hands and times of great distress and trouble come from his hand as well, all part of his loving work in us and toward us. As a matter of fact, the word afflicted can be translated trouble. Is there any 
in trouble. <clears throat> Not in trouble in the sense that he's done something wrong and now he's paying the consequences of it, but facing affliction, facing troubles. <clears throat> the response of a heart born of God is to cry out in childlike trust to his Father in heaven. The, 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 the soul in union with Christ praise and this is exactly what James calls on us to do in distress don't run around and throw your hands up in the air he says you don't have to go find a seminar to help you out you don't have to run up and down the street crying out for help he says pray James second question is is any Mary Mary means encouraged. Hence, cheerful. Is any among you cheerful? <clears throat> when God's well-beloved children find themselves strengthened in heart and glad, what are we to do? Well, the, uh, the answer in our day is, well, you pop in a CD and let somebody sing something that makes you feel better. But that isn't what James says. He says, if you're Mary, you sing. Uh, we live in a day where we want to be entertained. And James's instruction cuts right across that. He says, is your heart full of joy? Sing. Sing psalms to the Lord. The word psalms here is a word that means songs of praise, hymns of praise. Are you joyful tonight? You should be singing. Pastor. You don't know what I sound like. That doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody sounds good to a God with a perfect pitch. He's not listening for our pitch. He's listening for our hearts. He's listening for the praise that should be coming to Him. Songs of praise and worship should be on our lips when our hearts are overflowing with joy, when we find ourselves strengthened and encouraged before our God. Like the sweet psalmist of Israel, we ourselves are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. A joyful noise to the Lord. As Isaiah writes, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord and declare his praise to the islands. <clears throat> oh, brethren, James writes in a way that I think should be clear to any of God's children handling his word aright, that this is what he expects the normal Christian life to be. Are you afflicted? Are you distressed? Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you joyful? Are you encouraged? Are you strengthened? Sing. <clears throat> and then James comes to the verses on which we will focus this evening. Is any sick among you? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. This is, of course, I'm sure many of you might suppose, a very controversial passage. And yet, as with many controversial passages in Scripture, one of the reasons it's so controversial is that it's plain as day when men don't really believe the Word of God. So we have to come up with something that it must say other than what it seems to say. And I would love to spend a number of messages on this. It's not within the scope of what we're attempting to do. So I just want to call our attention to three things this evening. Number one, the call of the sick. Number two, the procedure of the elders. And then number three, the health of the congregation. I find it ironic in the Lord's extraordinary timing that I myself am feeling some great weakness coming on as he has given me this to speak upon this evening. So we want to commend all of this to our great God and consider first the call of the sick. The call of the sick. The third question is, is any sick among you <clears throat> let him call for the elders of the church now the word sick in verse 14 is a word that basically means weakness and of course every one of us here knows what it's like when you're really sick uh, what do you feel more than anything else other than perhaps the pain of a sore throat or a throbbing headache or uh, pain in your chest as you've been coughing for days. Well, what do you feel but your weakness? Sickness is a weakness. It robs us of our strength. Perhaps you've uh, said yourself or heard someone say, oh, I was so sick, I was weak as a kitten, or something like that. What are we saying? We're saying that we live in a sin-cursed earth. And God in His infinite wisdom is pleased as part of the curse of creation to send conditions upon men that rob them of their strength. Sickness is a glorious parable of what we are spiritually. This is exactly how the Lord describes Israel in their rebellion against Him. The whole head sick. Sick. Robbed of your strength. Weak. Is any sick among you 
Brethren, when sickness falls upon us, it makes us recognize how many things we take for granted. Isn't that true? As soon as you feel that sickness coming on, I, I, I doubt that there's one of us here that goes, Oh, oh great, I've been waiting for this. I've, I haven't been sick for months. I've just been looking for an opportunity to run fever. I've, uh, <clears throat> I'd love to use up a box of Kleenex. I want to spend the evening lying on the floor in front of the porcelain so that I can heave throughout the night. But none of us thinks that. The minute we feel sickness coming on, we immediately sense the horror of the curse. We feel our strength going, our head pounding, our throat hurting, our <clears throat> a cough, a tickle in the throat, a fever, a broken up feeling inside. There are a lot of ways that we can feel those weaknesses coming on. Earache. Your eyes start getting scratchy. <clears throat> you get chilled and you don't know why. It's hot where you are. <clears throat> Doesn't take long to figure it out. But brethren, all of these things are reminders that death is coming. Death is coming. It comes to young it comes to the older. It comes to the rich, to the poor. It comes to every race. It comes to both genders. We get sick. Sickness is a misery. There's a hellishness about sickness. Not only does it speak of our sinfulness, the fact that there is something that's eating us up and robbing us of strength, keeping us from being what we were made to be, but there's a hellishness about it. There's a suffering to sickness. None of us likes the way we feel when we're sick. It doesn't matter whether it's what we might consider to be a, a, a major sickness, one of these horrible diseases that cleaves to us and, and virtually sucks all of the life out of us, twists and bends the body, shrivels up the lungs, takes away our, our ability to breathe, stops the heart, eats us up from the inside. Now, there are those that can immediately take our lives. Or sometimes in a very long, slow, excruciating way. And then there are those that they come on us and we know it's not going to be life or death. You get a real good case of the flu, it might keep you down for a week, ten days, maybe two weeks. You cough for six weeks afterwards. <clears throat> you know you're not going to die. You feel like you're going to die at certain points. You get a stomach virus and you wish you could die. But you suffer. You suffer. Uh, brethren, what's worse than getting sick in the night? We don't like to get sick any particular time. But isn't it miserable at night? 
During the day, maybe you can push yourself to do some things. You don't feel quite so bad at night. You're lying there. It comes on. Maybe you've been awakened sometimes by a sickness coming on. In that stillness in the night, and you recognize that feeling of, oh no, my throat's hurting, I feel the fever. Or I've got the chills, and I don't know why, and I'm shaking here, and I'm under... I'm I'm sweating. There's suffering to sickness. God intends for there to be suffering and sickness. There will be suffering in hell for all of eternity. We will know our weakness. We will know the discomforts and the displeasures and, and every sickness. Every sickness is a warning shot and a mercy from God. It's a reminder to say, this life isn't going to last forever. And there is a place of horrific suffering, a place of no comfort, a place where things won't get better, the night won't pass, the fever won't drop, your agonies will continue for eternity. This is one of the reasons the Lord uses sicknesses with His children as part of His discipline for them. It doesn't mean that every sickness comes from a specific sin that we've committed. But very often that chastening rod of a sickness comes to us and the Lord's children's consciences get tender. I was speaking to a brother just recently. He'd been suffering for quite a long time with a particular affliction. It was pointless for me to say, how are you feeling? I could tell in his voice that he felt his affliction keenly. And one of the first things he said is, I've been praying and I've been praying and I've searched my heart, I've searched my soul and, and I... I don't find that I'm in rebellion against the Lord in anything. Well, this is part of the work that sickness, as the servant of God, does with us. It tenderizes us just a little bit. It stops and makes us think. We not only feel our mortality, we feel something of the chastening of the Lord. We don't feel like we're rewarded when we're sick, do we? Oh, the Lord loves me. He's just given me pneumonia. And yet, in His infinite love and wisdom, He does send these chastening servants to us for many, many reasons, more than we could cover this evening. But all of that to say is that sickness is a reality that's always with us. Certain times of the year, after your, if you're a parent or a pastor, (laughs) you know that there are just certain times of the year when you're just going to start... Either your children are going to start dropping like flies or uh, you're going to see families disappearing out of the congregation. They'll be down as they all share it with one another. and They're gone for a week or two or three or a month. They've got a large family and they kind of take turns. It's a reality that we all face. 
And usually, what's the first thing we do when we get sick? We complain. Oh, no. Not now. As if there were really a wonderful time to get sick. Why now? And then we complain. What's the second thing we do? We either run to the the medicine chest, or we immediately call the doctor. Can you get me in today, please? Please. But very often we don't do what James calls us to do. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. That's a command. Is any merry? Let him sing. That's a command. Is any sick among you? Let him complain. Let him call the doctor. Let him. We could fill in the blank here, but not many of us do. What's said? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that word call there is a strong word. It's a summons. There are those that would say that this implies the person is so sick they can't get out of bed. But I think that's reading something into the passage. It would almost, if that were the case, mean... Well, if you're not very sick, don't bother the elders. But if you're really sick, then call them. I don't believe. I don't think that's what it means at all. James doesn't give anything that would indicate that. He says, "Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Call for the elders." And you know, Brother Stephen and I stay mighty busy. <clears throat> But we're not busy with your calls regarding sickness. Of all the things we're busy about, and of all the kinds of things we get calls about, we have yet to receive a call that hasn't been at least in some way or another initiated by us regarding sickness. And this makes very plain that part of our loving oversight and responsibility to the saints of God is to be summoned by them that we might come and pray over them. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That brings us to the procedure of the elders. First of all, as I said, this is a responsibility. Let him Notice verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him. Is any merry? Let him. Is any sick? Let him. But in the first two, you're supposed to do something and that solves the issue, basically. Trouble? Pray. Encouraged? Sing. But in sickness, you're to call 
for help from your brethren. It is a responsibility of the elders of the church to pray in the name of Jesus for the children of Jesus. This is a continuation of the apostolic practice. Mark chapter 6 verse 12 tells us the Lord Jesus Christ sent out his disciples and it says, And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick (coughs) and healed them. They commanded men to repent. They cast out devils. They anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. What are the elders to do? James says plainly, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. First of all, there's prayer. And secondly, there's this matter of anointing. And as, as it is with so many controversies, what people spend most of their time on is the issue of the anointing. When without any hesitation, all of the scriptures ultimately point that in any of these situations, the primary issue is prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ healed numerous times without anointing people. The disciples, the apostles themselves, healed many times without anointing people. But they did all things with prayer. Paul commands us to pray without ceasing. Prayer is the language of the regenerate soul. Prayer is the glorious breathing up to God of the life that He's bestowed in the hearts of His children. And it's fascinating that in this particular, in this particular situation, The sick one is to call the elders. Now, Brother Stephen and I have prayed for several in the assembly in their <clears throat> in their afflictions. But that's every time been from the fact that we've said, you know, we'll be glad to come and pray for you if you'd like for us to. Oh, okay, yeah, that'd be good. Brethren, what I want to suggest to you this evening is that we have a responsibility and you have a charge from the apostles to call the elders when you're sick. And the elders are first and foremost to pray. This is part of the oversight. To pray. We pray for you for many things. We pray for you for your sicknesses. Very often, someone's down, someone's not feeling well. We, we finally hear about it. It's not unusual for you to call and tell us that you are sick. 
But as I said, it hasn't happened that you've called and said, I'm sick, come pray. <coughs> Throughout the history of the church, this has been the practice of the leaders of God's people. Why? Why this? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was sent of his Father, and he was to come and conquer sin and death and to establish his glorious kingdom. And what was one of the ways that he manifested the power of his kingdom? It was in healing, was it not? What did healing mean? The curse was broken in the hand of Christ. Now, I would imagine that many of you already have floods of questions running into your thinking, and I can't answer all of them this evening, but I will try to get to a few in just a few moments. <clears throat> the primary issue for us is prayer, because as those who have the oversight of the Lord's children, we are to pray for your spiritual well-being, and we're to pray for your physical well-being. Along with that, we are to implement the things that the Lord has given us to do for each of those. How are we to help your spiritual well-being? Well, we're to preach the Word of God and be faithful to say what the head of the church says. And then we are to discipline according to that word. We're to uh, exercise the ordinances together. <clears throat> what about physical issues? Well, we're to pray. We're to pray over your bodies, over our bodies. But the Lord has not left us without anything else to do. He wants us to pray and then to anoint the sick. Now let's talk about anointing for just a minute. It says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The oil here, <clears throat> the, the Greek word literally means olive oil, which I have with me this evening, as a matter of fact. Olive oil. <clears throat> Anointing him with oil. The word anointing means to, to smear on, to wipe on. Sometimes people uh, uh, portray it only as pouring out, but uh, it most often means the application. <clears throat> well, what does it mean? Well, first of all, there are a number of interpretations throughout the history of the Lord's people, but it generally comes down to two. That, that there is uh, a natural healing, medicinal value here, or that there is a spiritual matter here. 
the medicinal practice is clearly seen throughout the scriptures. Many of you know and understand, having read the word of God, that when people were wounded or injured, there was the pouring in of the oil and the wine to heal. And so there are those that say, well, the elders here are kind of functioning like spiritual doctors. They're covering both bases. They come and they they rub down the, the sick person with oil to help them with their healing properties and and then they're to pray for them to handle the spiritual matters. But there are far too many conditions that olive oil doesn't help. <clears throat> Simply applying it to the outside or even if you drank it wouldn't do you any good. And while it might be good for cuts and bruises when you don't have anything else uh, to pour in, I don't agree with those who see this as medicinal. Now, among those who see this as a spiritual application, there are two. One that is a great abuse of this and the other that I think is the biblical application. The Church of Rome has what is called extreme unction. When someone is dying, what happens? Those of you that are Roman Catholics, or formerly, excuse me, formerly Roman Catholics, you know, you call for the priest. What does he do? He comes and he anoints with oil. And this is ultimately where they try to build that case. However, <clears throat> this is not something that the text in any way narrows down or limits to someone simply dying. It just says, is any sick? Let him call the elders. It doesn't say, are you dying? Let him call the elders. It says sick. And that's what the word means. But now when the Lord Jesus Christ came, as we saw last Lord's Day, his blessed title, Christ, means what? The Anointed One. When was Christ anointed? Ah, we go down to the Jordan River. And we see the Lord Jesus at His baptism and we see His Father pouring out the anointing oil. Did we not? How was Christ anointed? What did anointing in the Old Testament ultimately point toward? Well, when it had to do with the temple and the tabernacle and those things, most of the time it was pointing to the Holy Spirit. It was in the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ plundered Satan's kingdom. And he came to those who'd been bent over for decades and said, stand up. And he healed them. Christ was the anointed one because he was anointed with the Spirit. And I believe that the anointing is twofold. Number one, it speaks of the, the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it is a symbol, as when we take the Lord's Supper. It is not the real body of Christ. It is not the real blood of Christ. But it does picture it. And when the elders of the church come, the anointing, 
is to say, we know where the power of healing is. It is in the hands of our God and His blessed Spirit. Secondly, anointing, especially in the Old Testament, and that idea is carried over into the New, speaks of consecration, being set apart. So we believe, I believe plainly and clearly, that what this is teaching is those that are sick are set apart. The anointing is a consecration unto God the Father. Yes, we're taking those that are sick And we're saying, as John writes in his gospel, Lord, him who thou lovest is sick. And we're praying for this one. Set apart, trusting in thee, pleading that thy spirit would come with healing and blessing power. What this does not mean is that there's any power whatsoever in elders. They're flesh and blood, and they get sick just like everybody else. There is no power in them, but they have the oversight of the assembly. And as Christ came and was sent of His Father, to bring the glorious conquering power of his kingdom, he sent his apostles. And they went and did the same thing. Who are the descendants of the apostles? But the elders of the church. We're not apostles. That's not what I'm saying. We are sent ones, but there are no apostles as the original anymore it isn't about the elders and their power it is about the representatives of Christ his word his kingdom and his power in the church of Christ we are not only to be physicians of the soul by bringing the word to bear on your hearts But we are physicians in another degree of those who come and plead for the healing power of the Lord Jesus. So that brings us to the health of the congregation. We've considered the summons, the call of the sick, the procedure of the the elders, which is simple, it's twofold. And thirdly, the health of the congregation. If we were doing an extended study, the first thing we would do is take on the claims of those today who say, well, if you're sick, you don't have faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have healing faith. Uh, We're not here to challenge the claims of the name it and claim it people or, as they say in some circles, the blab it and grab it. We simply want to ask A few questions. Why do the Lord's people get sick? Well, what is obvious is that it is the Lord's will. It isn't the Lord's will that they're never sick. And the Word of God with a careful study makes that plain. 
as I've pointed out, the Lord uses sickness as His servant. And it is used to remind His children of many things. But the first thing that we want to see is that there's a promise of healing. There isn't something negative here. It says, verse 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, there are those who actually believe that this has nothing whatsoever to do with physical healing that this has simply to do with dealing with spiritual condition. There have been several men, especially in dispensational circles, that have made this a very popular teaching. They've said, the days of the apostles are gone, the days of healing and all that type of stuff, that's past, that's gone, this isn't what this is talking about. This is talking about weak brothers, because that word does mean weak when it says any sick among you. So they say, it doesn't mean physical illness. It means, are there any weak? Any of you that are weak as brothers and sisters? Then let the elders come and pray for them. And anoint them. And then their prayer of faith will save the weak. That they'll strengthen the weak and they'll be healthier in their walk. Well, I'd like to take the time to point out where there are a number of errors in that thinking. But but the very word in in verse 15 that is used for sick, which is not the same as 14, means sick. It means sick. Secondly, you don't have to call the, the elders to come to your house when you are weakened. There's certainly no place in the scriptures that give us that that idea. The notion has to do with physical sickness. And what we're told is that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. What we want to consider in our last few moments is this. First of all, what's important in this scenario is not oil, but prayer, spiritual power, and not salvation, but healing. The word save here is the word translated save and salvation in other places throughout the New Testament. But it is also directly connected to health issues. In numerous passages, I only bring you two tonight, Matthew chapter 9, verse 22, but Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole. It's the same Greek word. She was saved. She was delivered. She was rescued from her sickness. From that hour. Mark chapter 10, verse 51. The blind said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the word is the same word there. Thy faith hath saved thee. It's not talking about theological salvation. 
It is talking about physical deliverance. It's not talking about spiritual redemption, but physical deliverance. For indeed, <coughs> or excuse me, it says, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, <coughs> I, as I said, this, this could be a wonderful and, and long series of messages, but it's only going to be just one message this evening. Maybe sometime in the future, way into the future, we will look at these things in more detail. But the first thing that we have to consider is the fact that, as with all Scripture, we must be very careful the way we handle God's Word. If we become proof texters, where we simply take a verse, yank it out of its context, and say, the Bible says what it means, it means what it says, this is what it says, this is what it means, there it is. Then God has to heal people every time, as the Word of Faith people often teach. <clears throat> but it's very plain that throughout the Scriptures, even those who had the power of healing did not always heal others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27 Paul writes, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul didn't heal him. Thankfully in the Lord's kindness, he recovered from his sickness. But there was no miraculous healing here. Paul could have said, well, he longed after you all, full of heaviness. He, you heard that he was sick, but there was no problem. I healed him. Second Timothy chapter four verse twenty says, "Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum, sick." And why in the world did he leave him sick? If he loved him, and of course he did, why didn't he heal him? Paul could heal. Read the book of Acts. <clears throat> it is because the God of heaven and earth does not always heal. Unfortunately, that puts in the mind of most people, well, he's not going to heal me. Or he probably won't heal me. The elders are busy. I won't bother them. He's probably not going to heal me. I've just got a cold. James says, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. <clears throat> this is what we should expect from the Lord. And if he does not, we have to reckon at least two things in this. Again, a thorough study of the Word of God would show us that there are times when God uses means. When he heals, it doesn't necessarily mean that he always has to do a miracle. He uses means. So we don't agree with those who say, oh, if you go to a doctor, it means you have a lack of faith. No. As a matter of fact, what I'm suggesting to you this evening is when you're sick, you should call for the elders. They should anoint you and pray for you. And if you don't get better, you need to go to the doctor. If you're in a car wreck, go to the hospital. 
but call for the elders. We're not saying it's unspiritual to take medicine. We don't believe that it is a lack of faith in God because God uses means all through the Scriptures. Sometimes He heals miraculously, but any and every time you get well, it's the Lord's mercy. I have prayed for healing in times. And the Lord has done it. And I've prayed for healing at other times. And then had to go to the doctor. I've prayed for my children and seen their fever vanish. I have prayed for my children and then given them some Tylenol. What we want to do is simply obey the Word of God, trusting our God. You'll notice there's a very close connection between sin and healing in the Scriptures. The prayer of faith shall save the sick, shall make them whole, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. This is why some take that spiritual interpretation that I was mentioning a while ago and I understand why they do. I don't view these men as enemies. But the scriptures are very plain that sometimes the Lord uses sickness as chastening for His children because of sin. Paul says in the plainest language regarding the Lord's Supper He that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. And many sleep. There's some dead folks there in Corinth because of their sinful approach to the Lord's table of communion. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This is why the brother said to me, I've examined my heart. I've prayed. I've poured my heart out to the Lord. I cannot think that there's anything that I'm consciously in rebellion about. Sometimes, brethren, sickness comes and when its chastening rod falls upon us, we begin to think about the people we're not right with. We begin to realize some of the attitudes in our hearts. We begin to realize that we haven't been using our tongue the right way or we've been dealing with people in a way that is sinful. Does this mean every time we're sick that there's a specific sin tied to it? No. Because Job was smitten from head to foot with boils. And it wasn't because he was in some terrible sin. As a matter of fact, God told Satan of Job's great righteousness. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples when they said, Well, who sinned? This guy's mother or his father that he's blind. And the Lord said, Neither one. 
So, brethren, sickness is all wrapped up in the sovereign hand of God. What do we do when it comes? We complain. We run to the medicine chest. We're not becoming charismatics in this. We're not stepping outside of what is clearly considered to be standard practice. And the Lord's people, long before there was something known as the charismatic movement or the Pentecostal movement, practiced this regularly. It was not unusual. The whole idea of hospital calls didn't originate with the idea of just coming to see someone in the hospital and say, Hi, I hope you feel better. We're praying for you. The idea was to come and to pray for them and to lay hands upon them and to anoint them. Sometimes you end up in the hospital before the elders can get to you. Don't lie around and bleed waiting for the elders to get there. Go to the hospital. But what we're saying is that the Lord has called us to something for our benefit to which he has attached a blessed and a wonderful promise. And if he heals us miraculously or if he heals us through the hands of the doctor or if he gives us the final healing and takes us home, It is all in his wise and good providence. Let's simply trust him. Do what he says. Wait upon him. And praise him as he gives us light on our conditions. We're not anti-doctor. We're not anti-medicine. We're simply saying, when you get sick, think about what the scriptures say. Call for the elders. And have them pray. We commit you daily in prayer. Why not in your sickness? Why not obey what the Word of God plainly gives us? Finally, it tells us to confess one to another and be healed. Now, we need to be very careful here. We're not talking about a priestly confession where we have to go into a go into a booth and confess our sins. We're not talking about that. And we're not talking about just a general thing. Uh, it's, we're not talking about uh, one of you standing up and saying, well, I've been having wicked thoughts about this brother or this sister all week long, and I want you to know that, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> I've just i thought this about you and thought that about you. That's, that's not what it means. I believe that in the context, what's clear is it means sins against one another. If I have spoken wickedly, if I have attacked your character with someone, I need to come to you and I need to confess that. Because once again, there's a connection. God's people should be doing that which is right. They should be doing what is pleasing and honoring to the King who has saved us. So brethren, We're not taking radical steps here in the sense that we're doing something different than we've ever done since Brother Stephen and I have been elders. We've been about this since the time I've been here. But we've done no teaching on it. And we're facing more conditions that people are saying, please pray for us, please pray for us. And what we want to say is, well, let's do all that the Scriptures say. We want to pray for you. And we will happily anoint you. Trusting our God. There's nothing magical in the, in the oil. There's nothing magical 
in the elders. There is simply obeying an instruction that the Lord has given the church for its well-being. May we grow in that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I praise and thank Thee for Thy wonderful mercies to us in Christ. Father, Thou knowest that we are weak vessels and that we may certainly, certainly misunderstand Thy Word. But we do believe, Father, taking the weight of evidence and looking through the Scriptures and weighing these things in prayer, weighing the arguments of men against Thy Word, closely pleading with Thee to grant light. We believe, O Father, that many of Your children simply bypass the blessing that Thou hast granted them. Oh, I pray, blessed Lord, that we might, in our own hearts and minds, carefully, judiciously, pray and seek Thy will regarding these matters. Lord, whatever you ordain is right. When the sicknesses come to us, may we examine our hearts. May we judge ourselves. And if we find nothing, O Father, may we simply commend ourselves into thy hands, trusting thee. For we know that Job wrestled and struggled and could not understand his afflictions. And yet it was from thy wise hand. Lord, you use these things in many ways. So we pray in your good name that you might help us to obey thee, that, Lord, we might see the blessing of thy hand in this assembly. Father, I know the testimony of other pastors who have walked in obedience to this word and seen you do remarkable things with one and the very next week leave another in the bed of sickness. You are sovereign. And we look to thee knowing that thou art wise and good and holy. May the prayer of faith be offered up this evening, to bring glory to the name of Christ. In His name I pray. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-450, 3730 by fax at 
1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.